The Wings Over New Zealand show is brought to you in association with Wings Over New Zealand, New Zealand's number one aviation discussion forum online. There you'll find discussion on all aspects of New Zealand aviation, from the latest news to historic happenings around New Zealand and the world. You'll be in good company with other aviation enthusiasts, including pilots, engineers, warbird restorers, warbird owners, historians, modelers, authors, photographers, and many, many others. Sign up to Wings Over New Zealand now. Just Google Wings Over New Zealand and you'll find the forum. The Wings Over New Zealand show would like to acknowledge the great supporters had from Fly DC-3. You can fly back in time with Fly DC-3 from Ardmore Airport. Charter the DC-3 Dakota and fly into the past. It's an experience you'll never forget. Fly DC-3. Go to www.flydc3.co.nz Welcome to the Wings Over New Zealand show with Dave Homewood. Welcome to the Wings Over New Zealand show. I'm your host Dave Homewood and today we're talking with two guests, Peter McCorders and Jason McCorders. Hi guys. Hello Dave. I don't know whether I know a Jason McCorders, I know a Jason Mack. Is that you Jason? Yeah, oh, I think we're related somewhere. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> How are you Dave? Good, good, good. Yeah, of course you're both known as Mac, of course. Aren't yes, you? that's one of those radio things because nobody knows the full name. And it's just a lot easier to spell to strangers. Yeah, it is. And, and only uh, We only use uh, McCorders for um, the Inland Revenue Department and for the Wings Over New Zealand show. Ah, right. Okay, okay. I thought I actually thought you might have been sponsored by Apple, but... Uh... That would be nice. That would be very <laughs> yeah. nice. So lucky. We're both fans of their product, in fact. <laughs> well, okay. Well, um, what we're talking about, of course, is uh, your experiences in aviation, and you're both both very keen aviators. Um and what I'd like to get into uh, first, Pete, with you is how did you first get interested in aviation? What are your earliest memories of it? Yeah, I actually got into it before Jace, um, owing to the fact that he came onto the scene much later. But um, but look, I, I guess really, um, I'm a bloke, and uh, I'm, I'm interested in I'm interested in stuff. I'm interested in vintage stuff, and that's really, I guess, where where my interest came in and in, in, uh, was become warbirds. But I've always, you know, I remember as a little kid going to, getting really excited about going to a local um, car dealership showroom where the Vintage Car Club were having a Friday night display ahead of their uh, rally for the weekend. And I would have only been probably seven or eight or nine and just being so uh, in awe of the, these immaculately turned out vintage vehicles. And, and it didn't matter whether it was planes or trains or traction engines or, you know, steam, whatever. Um, I was just a little kid that was um, just absolutely infatuated with with things vintage. And I guess in terms of uh, the flying, um, uh, when I left school, I became a printing apprentice for some reason, and uh, I still haven't worked out why. And uh, I went along. I had some mates uh, who were at the local uh, aero club at the time, which was quite a good scene. Um, among them um, was a guy called Kevin Pingali, who was a good mate of mine, and, and, and a good mate of both of us. Uh, was Peter Vincent, a very young Peter Vincent, who of course is now Vincent Aviation, and we all we all trained uh, together out at the Aero Club. Those guys, particularly Peter, uh, was a lot more uh, focused and determined than I was. I was just a sort of a social flyer, and as it turned out, um, I probably did um, I probably did four or five hours solo 
uh, in the 140 Cherokees uh, before, I, before I gave it away, just as a combination of the fact that I didn't really have the money. And to be honest, I couldn't work out the maths. Uh, th- that was never my strong point. And, you know, I'd kind of ticked that box and drifted into other things. So um, that's where the flying sort of uh, started, and that's where it finished for a while. But um, also at that time, I was involved in... Um, a Railway and Preservation Society, which was a, an organisation which was then in its fledgling days in Ashburton, and they had a um, had purchased a section of the old Mount Summers branch line, and I was very involved in that, was their publicity uh, man. I, I remember they sent me off at the age of, I think I was 14 or 15, to Wellington to the first ever um, Federation of Rail New Zealand um, Societies conference. When I look back now, I think, what the hell were they doing sending a kid to a conference in Wellington? But I remember, uh, I remember going up there and staying in the hotel and making, you know, making my speech around the table, uh, and and I used to love all that stuff. And while I was involved in that, I had this um, this dream that maybe, you know, as part of that development, one day there would be like a vintage aviation section, and maybe with the Harvards coming up for um, for disposal in 1977, maybe you know um, a, a bit of a group could be formed that would um, that would be able to buy a Harvard and, and put it on display as part of this big vintage project in Ashburton. And that's why, right. that's why when I was probably about, I don't know, at that age, uh, what was I? Probably 16? Yeah. 16 or 17, maybe. Um, I, I put an ad in the local paper sort of asking any uh, aviation enthusiasts uh, who, you know, would like to sort of get together and have a meeting to talk about, you know, A, acquiring a Harvard and B, you know, getting some sort of a historical um, aviation display together to, to meet in the library. So that's where that all started for the Ashburton Aviation Museum. So it was all happening very early on. Well, before, well Jason was absolutely no use to be at all at that stage, I have to say. <laughs> that, that's pretty amazing that, that it was you as a 16 or 17-year-old that got that whole thing kicked off. That's, well, that's great. When I look back now, I'm pretty proud of it. But at, at the time, it just didn't seem that out of the ordinary. I mean, I've always sort of had big dreams. Um, never had the big shed for a few years after that, but um, I just, you know, some people get turned on by going out and playing for their local, you know, first fifteen on a Saturday afternoon. I got turned on by um, pursuing vintage stuff and and trying to bring it together. And over the years, I've just loved putting projects together. And it just happens that a lot of that in in, in the last, um, well, particularly in the last fifteen years or so, has uh, involved vintage aeroplanes. And it's just a, it's a, it's a buzz. I love it. So what what actually developed um, from that meeting uh, in the in the library? Um, there was I think eight or nine people at that first meeting. Um, uh, one of them was Jim Chivers, who ha- has come. I think I call him the glue that has really held the whole thing together over the years. And that's not to put any kind of uh, lesser uh, importance on some of the other key players who who have played very good roles over the years. But I, when I think back, Jim has been the one constant link who's kept that whole thing together. Uh, and he's still there now, you know, well into his 80s. And, you know, big ups to him for that. He's been fantastic. Taking a bit of a backseat now, of course, but um, which wouldn't be an easy thing to do. But for for a very long time, I think Jim was the, the, the driving force and the glue. There were different presidents and different people came and went uh, and all played a very, very good role. But but, but Jim, I, I credit. So basically what happened is that that first meeting uh, with the eight or nine people, one of whom was the local uh, reporter for the newspaper, um, they decided that they would have another meeting with a view to forming an organisation, and basically um, the organisation that's now become the uh, Ashburton Aviation Museum Society Incorporated um, was, was started, and that was in 1974, and I was born in 57, so how... Uh, 
Yeah, so I don't know what that makes me. Yeah, it must have been about 17, <laughs> something like that. Um, yeah. and, and, and in those early days, of course, there was no museum, and the idea was to, to take the museum across to the Timul Domain, where the Plains Railway was based, and, and have it as part of that. I sort of um, headed off with my um, radio career, uh, my cinema and radio career, and so I left town for a very long time, and that's when a lot of the... Um, a lot of the wood chopping and raffles and you know and those guys really had to work hard for every dollar back in those early days they used to have yeah. a uh, a roster of um raffles over at the timul tavern every saturday night um this was just remember a very small core of people less than a dozen um yeah. and they'd do wood chopping and you know there weren't the avenues back in those days to apply for trusts for big figure grants every dollar was was very hard earned and you know it's a great credit to those guys that uh, they eventually, well, the first the first major was they, they, the first thing they ever owned was a Bofors gun, which was given to them by the uh, the late Bob Burnett, who was a bit of a transport tycoon and a real uh, big figurehead in the town. And they, and so the first, the first item for an aviation museum was an anti-aircraft gun, which, <laughs> <laughs> which seems uh, somewhat ironic. But of course, it wasn't too many years. Well, it formed in 74, in 1977, the Harvards retired. So 1978, that government tender came out and, um, so our meeting was duly held, and you know, uh, I remember at the time um, I was one of a number of people who put in 50 bucks. Now, 50 bucks was actually a, a fair bit of money back in 1977. I was probably not yeah. making 50 dollars a week, but I'm just trying to sort of think. But um, yeah, somehow that uh, that tender was uh, was placed, and uh, for two and a half thousand dollars for for um, NZ1012, and. Um, and then suddenly they realised that there was very little money actually in the bank, and all those um, all those pledges had to be called in, and and and, and they did it, and uh, suddenly the uh, the museum had its first aircraft, but no museum. Right. Okay. Okay. So, uh, I mean, what do you do then when you got an aircraft and no museum? Well, what they did was, and I've seen photos on the forum. The aircraft was um, paraded around town for a start. Uh, it must be a reasonably big job. What they did was they towed the thing home from Wigram from storage behind, uh, I think it was Joe Hopwood's ute, and they had that time-honoured uh, sort of scheme where they put the uh, the tail up on the on the tray of the ute and somehow fastened yep. the nose wheel in. They towed the thing all the way from Christchurch down State Highway 1. With, with the wings with off, the wings off, it? yep. yep. Um, and then it appeared at various things. Uh, Rod McElroy was a car salesman in town, a bit, of a bit of a lad, a bit of an entrepreneur, and they put on display at Rod McElroy's car yard, put the wings on it, sat there for a, I don't know, a few days or a week or something like that. And they carted it around. It sat outside the Salvation Army. They had a bit of a display there. They took it across to the Plains Museum in Timbald and displayed it there. And when it wasn't doing those sorts of things, um, it was uh, stored. And it was stored variously. I can remember it in a, in a building up in the in industrial estate, stored with the wings off. Yep. It lived for some time out at Les Vincent's farm. It had a number of homes. It was kind of, you know, it was like a... Um, it was like an orphan aeroplane that was sort of, you know, adopted <laughs> temporarily by various farmers and people and organisations. And meanwhile, <laughs> in the background, um, a team led by Jim and Les and those guys um, set about raising the money to, to start work on a, on a museum, which initially was just going to be big enough just for the Harvard. By this stage, I should point out, too, they'd given away the idea of, um, you know, building a, a setup over at the Timul Domain. Yeah. And, and, and instead, um, Wise Heads, I believe, decided that the airport was the place for it. So uh, even though that wasn't my original intention, uh, I mean, it's turned out to be a, a brilliant uh, move. And as, as history has, has borne out, there's been some you know, amazing 
uh, events there over the years, and of course having the the additional buzz of an active flying airfield has just uh, you know just 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 been a bonus. Absolutely, absolutely. So uh, yeah, about right. 1990, I think it was 1990 or 91. I stand corrected. Uh, the museum finally got opened after you know you know they they basically built that thing block by block, and I remember the first. I wasn't around at the time. I, I was off doing my radio thing, but they um, they basically put in the footings. They got a design for this round-roofed hangar. They put in the footings and the buttresses, and then they put the back wall up, and they got that all nicely finished, and a howling southerly came through and blew it all down. So they had to go and start again, and they really did it hard, um, and they did it bit by bit. Originally just from a, a building big enough to put the Harvard in, they went out to a... Um, I think it ended up being 38 metres by 20 metre building, which of course ended up being big enough for maybe some other aircraft that would come along, and indeed they did. So yeah. they got that thing open, I think it was in 1991, debt-free at a cost of $60,000, and people like the master builders in town here came out and put the roof on on one Saturday. Um, you know, wow. they, they, but they did, it, they did it right, they did it well, and um, they opened that thing, you know, without owing a penny on it. Well, that's great, mm. that's really good. Uh, and of course, Ashburton itself had a bit of history, hasn't it? It was an Air Force base yeah, during the war. Yeah, number two EFTS, uh, uh, 42 to 44, and it was only two years, but man, it was a, an incredible two years. And um, of course, I never saw any of that. I came along you know, a decade or more after that was all over, but um, my cousins, who are a bit older than me, can still remember some of the buildings associated with the base being out there. Um, yeah. My first recollections or first yeah, memories of the Ashburton airfield were probably when it was in its most Spartan state um, between the war and what it is now. There was basically, um, when I first went over there, only the Aero Club building and the old Aero Club hangar and and an old Kitty Hawk hangar over on the adjoining farmer's property. So And that was it. There was nothing okay. else. Um, and, of course, it's a very busy little airfield today, but um, we're talking, you know, the sort of 60s there. Yeah, yeah, right, okay. Uh, so we'll, if we just bring Jason in now and and get your earliest memories of aviation, do we still have time? Aviation memories would would it would probably have to be um, sitting in uh, the lounge in Kiora Road with the old man, um, and he had all my little toys lined up, and naturally he just bought me planes, and we were sitting around and we we had to try and guess and identify what they were. And um, you weren't allowed to go do something else until you knew exactly what aircraft they were. And it was good. And then we used to take family trips down to Wanaka and um, go to the Warbird shows down there. And um, but that was pe- weeks later, wasn't it? What about those, you know, you, the uh, the Ardmore trips? Do you remember the Ardmore trips? No, well, I've got photographic memories of those. Um, but I, I think I was just a, a touch too young to actually recall them these days. But, um, no, there, 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 there were Ardmore trips. There were uh, the, the trips to Wanaka. There, there was, obviously, sitting, sitting in the lounge with the toys. There was also um, the half a Harvard frame uh, sitting in the carport at that same right. house, which uh, Peter had acquired. And I actually do, in saying that, not remembering too much of the flying side of things that it had more, I do remember going with Pete um, and my little brother out there to collect various bits and pieces from time to time. And, yeah, you, you picked up a half-sawn-off frame from somewhere and we put it on the, the big blue trailer and brought it home and it yep. yeah, proceeded to take over the carport. Then more and more stuff started to arrive and there was no room for cars. Or uh, <laughs> And, actually, if you look back at our family photo albums, Dave, uh, you'll find a ratio of about 90 percent to 8% of aircraft versus children. Sadly, that's true. It's not even a joke. It's just a fact. Um, so, I, yeah, my earliest memories are just from as early as I can remember because we've just been immersed in it the whole time. Right, okay, okay. Well, tell us about that Harvard project. Pete's Harvard project, yeah. 
yeah, yeah. You, you, you tell us what you recall of it, Jason. I'll, because uh, I'll, this is going to be interesting. <laughs> well, essentially, I mean, I, I'm pretty light on detail because when you're when you're a young fella, you sort of you don't really um, sort of digest the. I guess the preciousness of, of, of what it is, preserving something like that, but it was always just junk sitting in the carport <laughs> that was spiky and rusty and we got told off if we played in it. Um, but, but you know, Pete was always very, very enthusiastic. He, he's, he's one person that um, he'll think about the dream and then think about the logistics of it later. He sort of goes out and gets it. He gets a lot of things done. And, I mean, yeah, I think there's not enough credit given to him for, for what he has achieved. But um, especially with his personal collection, he, he likes going out and finding bits and pieces. So he's, I think you found a frame. Someone put you onto it. Wasn't it rushing yep. behind a shed in a hangar somewhere? Yeah. I mean, that is an incredible story. I, I, I actually, um, I, I was, it was Auckland, I think it was 1990 or not. It would be 1990 in Auckland. And I knew of, I'd heard about Buddy Darby, Charles Darby, who, of course, was a, is a famous warbird recovery man um, yep. from the islands and I knew his work well and he uh, had just been responsible with, was it Garth Hogan back in those days, with um, Harvard yep. 1099, that magnificent restoration that was done at Ardmore and it was rolled out, I think you recall this David, we've had photos of it on the forum, um, yeah, before yeah. it was completed it was rolled out there and I remember being out at Ardmore and seeing that thing and thinking to myself, you know, I want to be a part of this. I want to. I want to. I want to have a slice of this Harvard action. I'd always kind of regretted, even though I was young, not having put a tender in myself for a Harvard of my own. I mean, you would think about the price they went for. Some of those. Some of those frames after the tenders. You know, the Americans. Some of them wanted the the engines, the Pratt and Whitney um, radials, and they just sold off. They traded off those airframes for. You know, five hundred bucks. Yeah, what's the yeah. website that you gave me the other day? There's a serial website which. Oh, the ADF, yeah, the ADF serials. It's all on there. Yeah, these um, are all the prices. Yeah, it's yeah, uh, it's incredible. And you know, and I always thought, oh, I've, I've missed the bus. I've missed the bus. I've missed the bus. So I went home and I heard about Charles Darby, Bunny Darby, and I found his number and I picked up the phone and I called him, introduced yep. myself, and told him that I was a Harvard fanatic and he was a very generous guy and we talked about all sorts of things. And I said, look, I, 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 I believe that you recovered a lot of those old Harvard Mark II frames from Bennett's yard in Tikawiti years ago. Yes, he did. I said, look, would you know where any of those frames are now? Because I, I'm, I'm just Harvard mad, and I've, I've missed the bus, I feel, but I, there's got to be one of those frames out there somewhere, and I want to find it. And he said, oh, no, they've all long gone, Peter. They're, yeah, no, that was, that was dead. You know, it was virtually, I think it must have been 20 years prior to <laughs> that phone call. And so yeah. we talked about all sorts of things. He gave me a lot of time. And you know how you you know when you really want something bad, you don't want to accept that no is the answer. So I just sort of clung <laughs> and I said, "Look, are you sure you've got no idea where any of those frames went?" He said, "Well, actually, there was a guy, and he, um, I just can't recall the guy's name now, but he said there was a guy who came down with me, and I think he took one of the frames home. Actually, um, I said, "Oh, really? You, his name? Yes, he gave me the guy's name." Um, so anyway, I got straight off that phone call to Bunny Darby and rang this guy who happened to live in the next suburb over from me in Auckland, not All 10 right. minutes away, and you won't believe it. But yes, he did have a frame. It was sitting alongside his shed. He had just sold the house. He was about to move. Come and take the frame away. Oh, nice. <laughs> I didn't believe it till I got round there, and there I saw it. And it was a rusty old frame, but it was a Mark II Harvard frame. Uh, right. It had the firewall, had the electrics box on the front, had the, all the pedals in it. It had um, the front windscreen. It had the, had the front instrument panel surround. It had a heap of stuff on it. It had all the trinkets that had all been sitting outside this guy's shed 
for decades. Wow. I picked it up and took it home, sat it up on uh, sawhorses in my carport, and that became my therapy for the next year. I would go out there after getting off air, and I'd get the CRC and a ring spanner and my socket set, and it would take me a whole afternoon sometimes just to free up one nut. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that thing, sl- and with great care and great pride, I would label all the bits and draw little diagrams of where they'd come off the frame and everything till I got the thing completely disassembled. While this was happening, I'd made contact with Lyndon Knowles, who uh, at that stage was doing 1051, and making a brilliant job and he was incredibly friendly um and um he started just providing me with bits from his spares you know and then we found we heard about a side panel that was uh, for sale a guy that had out in a hut at ardmore so i'd bring all these bits home that made it a bit more like a harvard and i'd wire them on with lacing wire and take photos and (laughs) i had a plastic bucket to hold part of the front cowl on and you know and i just dream i just work and dream and work and dream and I got this thing eventually completely dismantled and then took it out and took it to where um, uh, Aeromotive took their frames to get blasted and got the guy yep. to you know to, to sandblast it all for me and um, got it primed, brought it home, and I just started building it back up. You know, started doing up all the bits and pieces I'd taken off it and, and putting them back on, and it was just the most rewarding thing ever. Great, great, fantastic. Then I found a... a a, a centre section that was lying upside down outside next to Greg Ryan's setup, and so I, I, be, I sort of plagued Greg to see if I could buy that, and ended up buying that. Um, then I found a set of wings alongside the um, the hangar that uh, Walt Denham was working on at the time, uh, Golf Aeronautics, and uh, I managed to do a deal on those. I bought those, and I just kept getting bits, and uh, and it just grew from there. Great, great. So what actually happened to the Harvard? You, you don't have it anymore, do you? Yeah, I forgot. It's just in the shed down the back. Oh, it's still there. It's looking more oh, right. and more like a Harvard every time I go home, isn't it? I mean, yeah. you've got it's, it's sitting up on its um, on its undercarriage. Uh, we we've acquired another set of wings to the the ones previously um, you know being moved over the years. Um, but the, uh, there's the, the there's the fuselage that you got in from America. Um, yeah, the, the the back end of that. They've got the tail yep. section. It's yep. yeah, it's, oh, yeah, it's yeah. all looking fairly quite sharp. Like there was a guy. Oh, there, was a, there was a guy. Um, this was years and years ago when the. Um, when the uh, dollar was sort of favourable for us, I had some stuff that I needed to, you know, I had to trade. And there was a guy in America um, who I contacted. His name was um, Ken Dwell, and his um, or Dwelly. I'm not quite sure how you say it. And his dad, Tom Dwell or Dwelly, um, raced Sea Furies and stuff at Reno. And oh, yeah. um, and they had a T6 they raced at Reno as well. And they're, they're sort of an oil baron type family. And yeah. um, so I wrote to this guy because he had it out for they'd acquired a whole stock of t6 bits and i saw his website and i wanted to see if i could get a tail cone because the thing that was a real stumbling block um uh was the was the rear fuselage i went and recovered one from um harding's farm down in Wanganui and remember taking it home to auckland it was the most busted up beat up (laughs) thing you ever saw uh but it was it was the closest thing i had to a harvard rear fuse (laughs) and i carted this thing from Wanganui back to the behind the shed in auckland when i came to move everything when we moved from auckland i just didn't have the energy to move the busted up so i often wonder whether there's a a, a rear fuse of a harvard wreck still sitting behind that shed but um i should have had to abandon it but um this guy said, you yeah, know, I've got a, some tail cones here. And he said, one that'll be fine for static. And I said, well, I'm, I'm thinking of just um, making one up, you know, 
myself out of you know maybe a wooden rear fuse or something just mocking something up he said well you've got a better set of shop tools than i have no i'll do you this one cut a long story short um for 1700 bucks us at this at that stage um he sold me this rear tail cone he built the most incredible crate to put this thing in which was all beautifully suspended everything was glued with angle bracing and everything and then he right. put me on a spare side panel he put me on a spare windshield he put me on a vertical stabilizer all this other stuff he just threw in because he must have right. just sort of taken a fancy to what i was trying to do it just yep. you know here was this big big time oil baron family that would you know race sea furies at reno <laughs> Uh, uh, and here they were putting all this effort into sending a, a half corroded refuse <laughs> and a whole box of stuff to some nerd in New Zealand who was trying to put one together. And I, I, I'm, you know, I'll never ever forget the effort that that guy put into that. It was just incredible. If, I, if I'd been him, I wouldn't have been bothered. Yeah, you know what I'm yeah, saying. Yeah. Yeah. And this thing arrived. It was everything he had promised. And it's bolted to the back of the frame at the moment. So, yeah, Fantastic. sitting on the shed down the back. Okay, okay. So uh, what else have you got hiding away in the shed there? You heard a Devon there, didn't you? Uh, we've, had, yeah, we've had two Devons. This, this is my favourite question, Dave. If you go through the stock inventory of what he's brought home, it is outstanding. Uh, well, uh, well, Dave, um, there's a... Well, I got Devon 1804 from Wanaka for a start because I really wanted a Devon. Cause I love, yep. Because I used to drive to Christchurch and what would you see when you looked out at Wigram? Rows of nice uh, grey and orange Devons and Harvards. Yep, so I had yep. to have one of each. So oh, of um, uh, it became sort of mildly obsessive for me to acquire a Devon, which I managed to eventually um, talk the roads as at um, the Transport Museum in Wanaka into selling me theirs. And okay. I went down there, and when I look back now, I, I've got to tell you about this hobby. When I look back now, I've actually done stuff that no sane person <laughs> ever <laughs> start to sit out on. I mean, my wife, Mrs. Mac, Lorraine, and I, we, we dismantled that Devon together uh, at, at Rhodes' Transport Museum. What a huge job. What a wow. massive job for a bloke and his wife. Yeah. <laughs> and I remember going over to see Ray Mole Queen because we couldn't get the props off, and he sent one of his guys over, and uh, very, very helpful. And I was absolutely stuffed. By the time we finally got that thing loaded onto the truck to come home, I, I've never been so knackered in my life. It was just the biggest. But we did it and got it home. Yeah, and it sat outside yeah. for a long time and the snow settled on it and th various things happened. And I soon realized that it wasn't doing the thing a hell of a lot of good. And um, Phil Hinden, who's got XNZ and the other, and he's got a couple of Evans, he, he expressed interest in taking it over. So I allowed him to take it over. Uh, I reluctantly let it go for the sake of the airframe. And. Then later, just a couple of years ago, 18 months ago, I had the opportunity to um, acquire um, the cockpit of 1820, Devon 1820, which was the one that the museum had had years ago and cut the side, cut the uh, starboard oh, side yeah. out of it and put a big Perspex thing in. Do you remember that one? Yes, yes, I do. That was at the um, Fort ETS when I was there. And it sat, yeah, it did. It sat outside at Woodburn for a while with the others. Um, the others were inside, but this one sat outside. Had one really good low time engine. Um, and bits and pieces, and that came up for tender. So I put a tender in, and I lost out, I think, by a hundred dollars to the eighteen twenty one syndicate who bought it for spares. So mm -hmm. it went to Auckland, and then all these years later, I got a call from one of the guys up there who must have known that I was a bit into old airplanes and Devons and stuff, asking me 
uh, was there anything, Devon, that I wanted? And I said, well, yeah, I don't know. How about that cockpit of... Um, 1820 because they had taken most of the gear they wanted off it by that stage so he went yeah. back and had a yarn to his syndicate guys and they came back and said yep so we worked out a deal and i was going to exit um behind the spar and turn it into a trailerable cockpit display which i thought would be real good so yeah. i bought myself a reciprocating saw and loaded all my tools in the boot of the car and mrs mac and my other son the younger one, Dan, and uh, we went up to see Jace and Amy, and the the deal was um, we were going to go out, we we're going to bring this uh, cockpit out of the container that had been, or this fuselage out, and because it had been, because it had already been compromised with that Perspex panel, I felt that I wasn't performing any particular sacrilege, and I was just going to cut right. it behind the spar and trim it all up and put it into the... Well, we got there, pulled it out, Mrs. Max there and Dan, and they wouldn't let me cut it up. I mean, what sort of a dream family is this? They said, no, <laughs> they said, no you must take the whole thing. This is too good. And I went, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> and the people... So I had to negotiate. I had to pay an extra $300 for the back end of it or something, I think. I can't remember um, the scrap value of it, basically, because that's all they were going to yeah. do with it. So, yeah. luckily, a mate of mine who I'd just run into, who runs model steam trains um, and runs his own transport company, he was going to bring the cockpit down, and they were coming back to Ashburton, or coming back to Christchurch, largely empty, and this massive truck and trailer. And so I quickly rang him and said, look, um, you know, the family don't want me to cut this thing. Any chance we can get the whole thing home? Yep, no worries. So I hired a, a high ab round the road from one of the local transport firms, and the next morning we came back and we loaded the whole thing into this big truck and brought the whole lot <laughs> home. And then we sh shot up to, um, uh, where was it, Jace, to walk with? Uh, yeah, uh, it was just no, no rewear. Yeah, but to pick up um, the Harvard wings, which Jason had managed to. Which oh, was sorry, yes, yes, that was a yeah. walk. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, we went up there. Yeah, Jason well, had done a good job of um, negotiating for um, a set of wings that he had discovered that a bloke had. And um, knowing that the wings, that I didn't actually have any wings for my Harvard, um, it's another long story, I won't go into it here. Um, but I'd kind of let them go because there was a point somewhere along the line where I just thought I was an idiot and I should get out of it. And yeah. I sold a lot of it off and then had in seller's remorse and then begged the person <laughs> I'd sold it all to to sell it back to me. <laughs> so, in the meantime, the wings had gone somewhere else. So, um, anyway, so cut a long story short, Jason did a very good job of, um, of um, negotiating and securing these other uh, Harvard wings. So, Back in this empty truck came um, a Devon, um, yep. the whole fuselage of 1820, and um, and these two Harvard wings. Fantastic. So they're in the shed down the back, plus the Harvard up on its wheels with the tail cone on, uh, yep. plus all the DC-3. That's another story. Well, yeah, that is another story, isn't it? Because you know you've got to have a, if you've got a Harvard and a Devon, you kind of and you love sort of 19 sort of 40s stuff. Um, and 50 stuff, you've got to have, you know, you, DC-3, you've got to have at least have a DC-3 cockpit. Where the hell are you going to find one of those? So years ago, I had um, had a yarn to that guy. Was his name Hamish? You would know this, Dave. The guy that was going to have the Ag Museum at Rotorua? Yeah, Hamish, Hamish, Hamish Ross, was it? Nice guy. And I pulled up there one day seeing this um, wingless DC-3 sitting across from the airport and yeah. had a yarn to the guy and he had moved a building there and he was going to have this um, Ag Flying Museum and uh, I'm very interested. I just love museums. I love people who are on projects. I just love projects and what people were doing. And yeah. it wasn't that long after that, the guy tragically lost his life. He was said to be the safest egg pilot in the country. He was a really careful operator, and, you know, tragically, I think it was an engine failure on takeoff, and he bought it. And with the loss right. of him, 
Um, of course, the, the dream to have that Ag Museum died, and it wasn't long before everything went up for sale. And I remember contacting his estate or his wife or somebody about buying that DC-3 BKD. And my great plan in those days, Jason would be too young to remember, but my great plan, because you, you, know, you, you think what your end, what's the end thing you want to achieve, and then how do you reverse engineer it to make it happen? Right. right. Oh, my name's Peter, and I want a DC-3. How will I make this happen? Right. Well, I'll go and talk to the lady who's got it for sale. Yes, how much do you want for it? $10,000. $10,000. Right. Now, if I can go out and stitch up a deal with a car yard in Auckland to have that for a few years as a sort of like a, um, a, a display, you know, to attract people, yeah. that I can I can lease that to them. I can get an income from it that will pay for the DC3, and then it can go into the as-yet unknown uh, location Peter Mac Aviation Collection. Yeah. That seemed like a really plausible idea. <laughs> but for some reason, I never went through with it, and I'm so pleased. Because <laughs> I'd never, ever want to take on an aircraft. That's Oh, oops, hold on, I did. It was a fucker friendship. Yeah, that's oh. the best story. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, dear. dear. This is it's crazy. I've never, actually, I've never actually articulated the whole story like this you, before, so never, it's just yeah, a It's very therapeutic. You've never sat down and dismantled the whole timeline. But yeah, my, my, how many people would have come home and sat down with their wife and said, yeah, so I've bought a, uh, a fucker friendship. <laughs> Where are you going to put that, says Mrs. Mac? Oh, just on the lawn at home. And that's what happened. It lived there for years. A full-noise domestic airliner. And I, full used to, I, used, I used to see this thing, um, uh, BXG, and it was out at Wigram, and it had gone there from Air New Zealand, and they'd given it to Dave Proven and the Air Force Museum at the time, I think they had some, Dave Proven, I believe, had some sort of idea that they might turn it into a theatrette or something. It, the, the, the plan never happened. I used to go out there when I was visiting the museum and see this thing, and I remember getting yeah. up in it and having a look and think, gee, it's very complete, you know, there's no wings, but gosh, the cockpit's complete, it's just like a time capsule. Right. And um, right. then it moved. After years and years of me sort of keeping an eye on it, it moved. And so I contacted the museum to see what happened. They said, oh, no, we don't own it anymore, it's with Pioneer. And um, Pioneer, of course, at the stage we're operating the DC-3s out of out of uh, Wigram. And I'd done right, a bit yeah. of work for Tim Scott. I'd done some voiceover stuff for him, uh, safety notices and all that sort of stuff. So I sort of knew him and had a relationship. And um, I contacted him. And he said, yes, no, Peter, we are. Uh, Pioneer is the owner of the F-27 now. And I said, what are you going to do with it? And he said, well, <laughs> it's probably for sale, but we've got somebody who's a bit interested, which at that stage was the Wanaka Transport Museum. Right. And uh, I, he said, why? I said, oh, oh you know. Oh. He said, well, are you interested? I said, well, yeah, yeah, I am, I think. Uh, once again, <laughs> I was going to you know, make it into a giant cockpit. I was yep, probably going to have yep. to get a Kenworth truck to tow it. But, um, so anyway, I had to come up with his offer, which wasn't... And he said, oh, no, he said, we've got a much better offer than that, blah, blah, blah. And I said to him, I said, well, look, I'm sorry. That, you know, obviously... Um, the, that museum's got much deeper, deeper pockets than, than I have, and um, I'll just, I'll, you know, I'll leave it at that. Next thing I get this um, email back from Tim, and he was in New York at the time, saying, no, 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 no. If you want the F-27, you must have the F-27. If that's your best offer, it's yours. Oh. <laughs> okay. So suddenly I own an F-27. I mean, <laughs> I haven't got all night, but I mean, uh, then I had to think, figure out how I was going to get it home, um, but once again, I mean, this is the bit I love. I, I, I just knocked on the door of a transport company. They said, no, we couldn't do it, but try these people. Knocked on their door. What did we do for you? I said, I showed them a photo of this thing. They thought, what a hoot. They said, no, we can do that. 
It was Wilson's transport, actually, at Ashburton. I said, well, oh, yeah. yeah, and they said, oh, we need a pilot, we need, need a pilot vehicle, we need a follow-up vehicle, we need safety permits, we need this, we'll have to go at night, da 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 We could do it. And I said, um, well, yeah, oh, that's great, you could do it, but, you know, how much? No, we can do it. I said, yeah, but how much? Is it? No, we'll do it. We'll just do it. They thought it was a hoot, so they did it for the fun of oh, it. Oh, yeah. So next minute, wow. I've got a transport company bringing this F-27 to Ashburton for me at no charge. Fantastic. And so the next thing, it's, uh, it's here, and it's on our lawn. <laughs> <laughs> I think and if you still go to visit... Stuff. And then, look, there's a lot more to that story, too. And eventually it went across the road. Um, the NAC 65th anniversary was coming up. thought it would be pretty cool to get it back in its livery. And there's a, there's a, look, there's a million yarns with the thing. But in the end, we got it back in the NAC colours. We got the wings on it. And I had sort of dreams that maybe it might be able to eventually permanently um, join the, the museum collection over there, but it wasn't to be, and, and it's now um, it's now at Ferrymead. So, um, yeah, I think I think it's a good outcome for it, all things considered. Okay, so uh, yeah, bearing that in mind, have you given any consideration to saving that seven two seven at Woodburn? No, <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I, I'm trying to temper um, my projects now. Um, <laughs> it's your job. <laughs> um, the, the DC3, we touched on the DC3. For years I'd known that this DC3 was hanging um, from a bar in, in Christchurch, which the Vic and Whale had been um, Friday's um, restaurant for years. And everybody yep. sort of seemed to have forgotten about it. When you spoke to people about it, they go, oh, yeah, I remember that thing. And I used to go in there um, just around the corner from where I'd get off here and I'd go into town to get something to eat, and I'd stick my head in that bar. There was that blinking red DC3 cockpit just hanging from the roof. I made some overtures to try and acquire it, and they said, well, look, one day we will have to do a refit of the bar, but the problem is, since that was hung up there years and years ago, um, we've remodelled the whole pub. There's a new entrance out the front and everything, and it just won't go out the doors. So I was sort of resigned to the fact of just sort of keeping an eye on it from a distance. And, of course, then along came the earthquakes. And the first earthquake, you know, severely compromised the building, but they were going to patch it up. And then, of course, the big earthquake um, completely did the did the job so i then started a frenzied appeal to the you know i had to find out who really owned it who the building owners were who the insurance company were who were the uh, who were the people that were going to be bringing the building down i actually um, masqueraded uh, back in those red zone days after the earthquake as a building inspector or something i don't like telling, <laughs> i don't like telling i don't i don't like telling lies uh, that it was a little a white lie, um, and with the with the support of the company that was bringing the building down, they got me accredited. So All next right. minute, I've got a fluoro jacket on, and I've got a hard hat, and we're standing in this bar, which is just uh, just rubble. And here's this uh, just the most surreal sight: this old DC three cockpit still hanging by its chains from this roof. And um, <laughs> so, and there was just beer and bottles and fixtures and furniture and stuff strewed everywhere the pub really had come off quite badly but here was a dc3 still hanging from the roof the following weekend they went down with two massive cranes they freed the because it was too dangerous to get in and get out any other way and they lifted the entire roof off that front of the pub swung it out into colombo street still with the dc3 dangling from the roof and they yep. uh, they released it there and took it to the yard and a few days later i went and liberated it and took it home wow that's that's really meant to be then isn't yeah it? and we thought for a long time that it might have been the yankee zephyr but um and that's i was convinced that's what i had um yep. but no it turns out that it's not that one at all so um oh okay so have you pinpointed which one it is uh we think it's oh three. Oh, so that's the one with the uh the baby and stork isn't yeah. it yeah, uh, anything, yeah. anywhere, anytime. But that got further complicated because there's been various theories that several of the aircraft had that anything, anywhere, anytime 
uh, legend on them. So ah, okay. Yeah, you know that was funnily enough. Um, yeah, it's funny because that um, the Dave Duxbury, I believe, and some of the early members of the Ferrymead um, or the or the Aviation Historical Society found that um, cockpit in a shed uh, in a backyard in Bexley, I think it was, and it was a shed, and okay. it got liberated from there. It went to the Air Force Museum, and then it was loaned out, and then eventually just sort of you know given. Um, because you look at back at those right. ADF um, serials um, files and look back at 1803 and it says um, Air Force Museum uh, on loan or something like that. But it was there that long. Oh, they just yeah. wrote it off. And, um, right, right. Uh, so we're pretty sure it's 1803, yeah. Which would make okay, it the okay. largest surviving chunk of the earliest DC-3 or C-47 in the country. Because the others have okay. all gone. One, one and two have gone. Yep, yep. So, uh, and it's very barren, you know, it, it, the bottom of the bottom of the uh, cockpit um, skin's all been just, it's gone and it's been badly fabricated. But there's enough of it there to build a good um, a good cockpit display. So I managed to come and buy a few other bits and pieces and I've got a really nice mint, um, unmolested 1940s military um, instrument panel for it out of the States. That's, that's great. So I've got all that stuff, so... No, it's, it's good fun. Love it. Okay. And I've got a Link Trainer as well. Oh, right, okay. A Link Trainer, uh, yeah, which I got from the Southwood Museum, actually. It was one that was at the Southwood Museum for a long time. And they had a bit of a, I don't know how, once again, a lot of things just find you. And I must have been having a look through their web uh, through their website or something, and I went into a um, disposals kind of section. They were getting rid of a few bits and pieces. Yep, um, yep. They had, I think, an Allison engine at the time. Uh, um, and most of everything except the Link Trainer went to a guy up in Gisborne or somewhere, or somewhere up that way, I think. Um, okay. For not a lot of money, too, I think. It was just incredible. Um, and yeah. I put in a price for the Link Trainer, and um, and I got the Link Trainer. And um, our other son, Jace's brother, Dan, he restored that when he was still at school. And we took it down to Wanaka to a classic cockpits thing, which I was doing down there. And... Yeah. Um, uh, it was so bloody heavy, I couldn't be bothered bringing it home, so I loaned it to the uh, Fighter Pilots Museum, and it stayed there right up till the museum closed. They've got another one now, so if anybody's getting confused, if you go through the Warbirds uh, and Wheels, there is a Link Trainer there, but that's one that they always had, but they'd lost for a number of years, but um, uh-huh. that was somebody had taken it home to do, you know, fix it up sort of thing, and somebody had forgotten who took it home, but, you know, it eventually got repatriated, and so they've got their own one there now, and uh, we've got ours back home. Oh, right, okay, okay. So, Jason, um, how many aircraft have you got in your back shed? <laughs> I don't even have a shed. <laughs> I'm just waiting for Pete to cark it and I can have his. <laughs> and that's pretty much what I'm here for. No. <laughs> yeah. One day, Dave, one day. <laughs> You've got a 20th of the well, no, I, my my father-in-law um, Jim, he's a, he's a fantastic man. He's also shares. Um, he's he's a great historian. He just loves history, and he, he's always researching and and holding on to records of different things. And he's taken a shine to you know the, the, the older aircraft and um, the air show just gone, that was uh, in Aeromarka. He he popped along to that, and obviously Pete and I were there as well. And and he said uh, when I got back to their house where they live in the Abel Tasman, he said. What's uh what's a share in one of those Harvards worth? And I said, well, I think you can, you can buy them. I think you know they're in syndicates of about twenty people. He goes, oh, just yep. do some investigating, would you? And uh, yeah, so I asked a few people and uh, got them with the right folk. And yeah, we've uh, well, he's purchased for, and allowed me to uh, yeah 
hopefully train this coming summer in um, in Harvard 1078, which is outstanding. So uh, he is the owner of that share, and I'm just the guy that gets to utilize it. So I'm very, very lucky. Oh, that's superb. Yeah. That's great. So how, how long have you been flying for? Me? Uh, not that long. I Probably about three and a half years. I was at, okay. yeah, I, I was I was working nights at the time, and um, I had a lot of free time during my day, and I found that when I was at, not at work, I was at you know at home during the day. Even no one else was around. Everyone else was at work themselves. So I thought, well, why don't I go do something different and challenge myself? Um, what am I actually into? What do I want to you know do or what do I want to aspire to? And I thought I'm going to bloody do this aviation thing. I'm going to give it a good nudge. So um, yeah, I went out and did a little bit of flying first down in Ashburton with uh, Liz Vincent, which was uh, good fun. And then I really got the bug, so I came back to Auckland and then uh, I went around a couple of different aero clubs and finally settled on Fanuapai which is a great, amazing facility, and it's just, you know, so quiet. So I just felt super privileged to be flying out of there. Um, yep. I got my pilot's license just in the Tomahawks out there, then just got type-rated in the, you know, the, the usual stuff that's around, the Cessnas and, the, and the, the Pipers. And Excuse me. I think after he got his, the week after he got his license, Dave, I get this text saying that I've got five type ratings. You have got five type ratings in about a week, didn't you? Yeah, but we don't, oh. we don't really go out and say that. by most of the aviation community. <laughs> but no, I said I was, I was so happy. I just I wanted just to get involved as much as I possibly could. So um, yeah, I mean, I ended up going through. I think everything that they've got online there and acquiring a rating and depleting every single last little bit of money I had in my bank account. Um, <laughs> but no, it's good. And then and then with the, with the, obviously the aim to 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 throw back into the vintage side of things. And it's one of those things where it, it is it's incredibly expensive hobby and you know i've got a, a mortgage yep. and a wife and a child and it's um it, it's a very expensive thing to have on the side but um amy's very supportive and um since we've had charlie he's only been around for sort of six seven months so the, the, the flying's been rather quiet um but hoping to get back into it especially this summer and you know i've been the the, the warbirds guys are up in auckland out at ardmore are incredibly supportive and i've been working with them um just just through the media works up here with sponsorship packages to try and get some more people through their gates um with advertising on their open days and that seems to be working and um yeah they're, they're, they're a nice bunch of guys so yeah yeah i managed to um well i've had no idea what ever happened, but there was a, a scholarship that Milton Donovan, who was um, he's been involved in the Warbirds out there at Ardmore, yeah. he uh, emailed me said, "Oh, there's a scholarship for the, the Tiger Moth Club in New Zealand. You, you've done an hour or two with Peter Hendricks and those in, um, in, in Wanaka. Why don't you chuck your name in the hat?" And I thought, "Oh, why not?" So I sat down one night and uh, made, made myself a cup of tea and sort of penned this novel <laughs> for about an hour and a half, <laughs> and then I sent it off and didn't think too much of it. That would have been last year, Pete, wouldn't it? About yeah, November. End of, end, of, end of last year, yeah. Yes, yeah, right. <clears throat> and then, um, yeah, about a month ago, I get a letter in the mail, and it's yeah, they are successful in the scholarship. So the fantastic people there have um, gifted me wow. some summer money to to continue my training um, in, in the Tiger oh, Moth. That's great. And I think the thing was maybe my reasoning in there is you know there are I'm, I'm of the younger generation. I'm still under the age of thirty, and um, I don't think there is enough people or enough enthusiasm or enough young blood that is currently you know involved in the um in the scene so my whole thing is to get involved as much as i can uh, meet the right yep. people and just maybe carry on this legacy of all the hard work that people have done so far and it was great sort of to see that these people um yeah are, are really encouraging of that and they're willing to gift me funds to continue my flying and continue what they've worked so hard to do so far well that, that is really great congratulations on that 
Oh, and absolutely stoked. I mean, when uh, Woodsy phoned me, I just said, oh, yeah, thank you a thousand times. I just don't have any words. You know, you just stare into space thinking, wow, how did this happen? So so that's the plan. I'm going to uh, do a few hours and that. I want to get really professional. I'm going to go down. In fact, next weekend, I'm down in uh, Wanaka. Hopefully, the weather will play ball and I'll do a few hours with Peter Hendricks um, okay. and, and his Tigers there. And then, He's a top uh, guy, isn't he? He's a great he's guy. He's a fantastic man. I mean, if, yeah, again, I couldn't speak any higher of him. He's just a lovely, lovely bloke. Just so completely open and just wants you to do as the best you possibly can and an incredible instructor um so yeah we'll do that and then hopefully uh i can move into some chipmunk time i want to do about five hours in the chippy and then coming into summer yeah i'll get in the the new toy and uh yeah maximize that share that my father-in-law is so <laughs> gratefully uh, yeah it's amazing that he's even put up those funds to make that happen so that's the next chapter for me well that's really neat that you grew up with a, a, a what you thought was junk harvard in the back of the back shed and you know now you're going to be flying one yeah i know uh, <laughs> full circle isn't it well as i said it was it was only junk because it just looked like junk i didn't have i was yeah. young and i didn't have the vision and the foresight but as i was yeah. saying before that's one thing that pete scott he will as you've just heard you've you know the last 40 minutes his stories of just he just likes to collect things and bring them back to life and he, yeah he's just so enthusiastic so um yeah. i guess that's rubbed off a bit on me and um, that's in my jeans and yeah i'm just getting into it too now so it's it's great great and of course something else that the two of you do um i think you've done it together haven't you the not very well, uh, but <laughs> it's just it's enthusiasm, I and mean, you've got people like that. Look, we we, we both work in the in, in the media, and you know, we, we show ponies to a degree. But then you've got people who are actually the purists and the people who know their stuff. And you you sit up there in that tower, like an Omarka with 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 Graham Orphan, and he's the guy that brings you know that 99% of it together we're just there to sort of chip in and ask the questions and maybe for me I like to sort of ask the questions and and find a perspective from the the layman you know the people that turn up to their shows that aren't the purists but they sort of see them in the sky and they kind of want to know a bit more because yeah you know there's a lot of technical detail but sometimes I just want to know a, a, a basic quick history of what it is why it's here and why is it important and um, yeah I guess that's what we kind of spark but yeah but the, yeah those people that are in those you know proper commentary positions they're just walking encyclopedias it's unbelievable we, we would kind of you know like you know there'd be a collective sigh of relief when graham would climb the tower and join us again for a section because i have to admit um we were like a couple of um non-swimmers uh, who had been turfed into a diving pool that's what it felt like for a bit of it and i think we came away from it i mean both jason and i were very humbled to be um and graham has always uh, makes us feel so um well jace this year but me and other years um so um great it always makes us feel so uh, what's, the, what's the word um valuable to be part of his team but really i mean i mean i, I i'm not you know you like sign so the forum you know some of the guys are just yeah. Are just so knowledgeable, you know. That model Harvard yeah. had the, you know, the AN thirteen thread, such and such. I don't know. I don't yeah. know that stuff. You know, that's never been my thing. So you're aware that when you're up in that tower, there's a lot of people know a hell of a lot more than you do about anything. But um, but we're there for the enthusiasm. Pe- yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, that's what yeah. we bring to it is enthusiasm, <laughs> um, style over substance, possibly. Uh, I worked with Pete. Um, I worked with Pete from Australia uh, at the um, uh, from Tamora. Peter Anderson yes. on the on the uh, Mozzie air show in Auckland, yeah, yeah. and uh, I mean we didn't know each other from a bar of soap. We'd had quite a bit of correspondence beforehand, and I got the the feeling that this guy really and I'd seen him in action at Tomorrow, and I knew he really knew his stuff. And I thought, God, I'm going to be like you know, 
uh, I'm going to just let the side down here. And I'd been asked by Wal Denham to be to do this, and this stems from me um, meeting Wal years ago when I was scrounging Harvard parts out at Ardmore yep. in the early 1990s. So I just met him, and he was really helpful, good guy. We'd sort of run into each other at air shows over the years, and then I just get this phone call one day saying, "We've got to do this thing with the Mozzie. Would you come and be, you know, on the commentary team?" which I was just blown away by. And so I ended up doing that gig with Peter Anderson, and it was fantastic. You know, I think, you know, we both complimented each other well there, and I know that Pete's keen for us to do some more work together at some stage, so that'll be good. Um, so there's all those little projects, and I hope Jason and I will continue to do a bit of stuff at uh, Omaka. Maybe um, we'll be a little more prepared next time. <laughs> well, actually, you know, as someone who is the air show going public listening to you guys at a marker, I thought it was really, really great uh, having, you know, the father and son on the team. And, and you know, most people might not have even realised you're father and son, but you both came across really well. Uh, and when you talk about the Mosquito one, I mean, that was the dream team of the, of the, the best day you could ever have at an air show, really, wasn't it? Oh, that, look, it was surreal. I mean, uh, all of us involved in it that day, it was just kind of like it was coming, it was coming. Would it fly? Would it, well, gosh, you know. And I mean, they were still painting the cows on it the night before. It had only yeah, done yeah. that quick hop across to Auckland. Uh, I mean, anything could have. The, the potential for that whole thing to have unraveled was massive. And then yeah. what did we end up with? Just the most jaw-dropping, incredible, pinch-yourself day that you could ever imagine. The and veterans... Mm-hmm. Completely, people, the, the public or the, the people involved totally um, underestimated how uh, how attractive that whole day was. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I mean, there was, I mean, that is that's thirty k's. You know, There's, there was a lot of people wanting to be there, yeah, and they were. Yeah, Dave, I'll try and quickly give you just a uh, just to fill in a couple of the other gaps, just to make the story complete. Back sure, over yeah. at the Aviation Museum, I've been away for years and years and years. Came back. Uh, we bought our place here, Aeroview, which is adjacent to the air, airfield in 1996. I've been working in radio around the country, wanted to get a, a section that we could put down some routes to you know, come back to. So that's what we did. We bought this block of land. Um, I got back involved in the Aviation Museum. By that stage, they'd built the first uh, museum, and they were getting, uh, revolving around 80 members, and they had this dream of getting to 100. Um, yeah. I got involved. I looked around the place again. I thought, yeah, it's a great little setup, really great, passionate people. What's really missing, though, is a Tiger Moth. I mean, Ashburton uh, 4244, uh, number two EFTS, 1,500 um, students, you know, 1,100 and something or other, uh, 1,192 graduates learned to fly in Tiger Moths, ab initio right. training. What the museum didn't have was a Tiger Moth. So that had various attempts at getting a Tiger previously. They'd thought about it that didn't sort of work. And I said, look, I think we can do this. Uh, how about we call a meeting? I've got a proposal. So we called a meeting. Um, and we filled the we filled the upstairs meeting room, and the, my proposal was that we would launch a project called Project Tiger, Ashburton's commemorative Tiger Moth, that we would um, seek to to acquire a Tiger Moth that could be put into um, wartime colours to commemorate the role of Ashburton to train our wartime pilots. Great. Well, yep. um, yes. So I was elected project convener for that, and that was very early in the year. I. I think I saw in Pacific Wings or New Zealand Wings, whatever it was called then, um, a tiger that was for sale. I rang the owner, um, who was uh, Peter Upton, up in Kaitaia, and yep. it was ZKCDU. He didn't know me from a bar of soap. We had a chat much like we're having now. He got the gist of the museum, what we wanted to do. And I said, you know, he said, yes, this is the tiger. This is what it is, blah, 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 blah. It hasn't flown for a while. It'll need to be annualed. Um, to cut a long story short, we met a guy um, called um, John Pheasant, 
who's well known in the Tiger Moth circles. He knew Peter Upton. He knew the aircraft. He offered to uh, annual it and fly it down for us. Peter Upton, as a result of that one phone call, decided to loan us his aircraft to bring to Ashburton to try and raise the money for to buy it. I mean, oh, when oh, I think right. back now, I mean, if I rang, so, if you rang somebody up and said, "Look, you're at the other end of the country. I'm some dickhead from a from some place down south. <laughs> I want you to loan us your Tiger Moth, so we'll see if we can raise some money and buy it." I'd say take a walk, probably. But this guy said, <laughs> yeah. "No, I like what I know. That sounds like a good outcome from aeroplane. Yep, we'll do it." So the next thing, the Spinkin Tiger Moth's arriving, and um, will we be able to raise the money? Well, our membership was eighty. And through that Project Tiger, which we basically launched in February that year, and I can't remember the year, it was one of the early 1990s, um, yeah. no, early 2000s, sorry, um, by, we set ourselves, with the purchase price and to restore it, we set ourselves a target of $96,500, which was just a figure I dreamt up. Yeah. And by October, we had raised all the money and we owned it. Wow. And in the process, um, we kept it flying because it had just had a fresh annual. The museum had never operated aircraft. But for a year, we operated that thing. And when I look back now, it frightens me. If anything had happened to it, I don't know just where we would have stood. But anyway, Les Vincent stepped up. He's a great tailwheel guy, owning the Osters and what have you. And uh, he became our pilot. Um, Keith Pickford, another member, he became rated on it as well. And yeah. uh, we had the ceremonial arrival of the, um, of the... We actually got it to Ashburton and hid it in the hangar. And then we had the staged arrival of it flanked by a couple yep. of Osters, and I was standing out there on this big public day we had with people out there to welcome it to Ashburton, and when I saw it on the horizon with these two um, Osters either side, I, you know, actually, I'll, I'll admit I cried. <laughs> I actually yeah. bloody cried. I couldn't believe it was all happening. It was just, and I'm just talking about it now, it's still a very emotive moment. It just felt such, it felt such the right thing to do. And yeah. that money came from near and far, small donations, large donations, trusts, all sorts of things. You know, in under a year, we'd raised all the money to own that tiger moth. And then wow. um, other projects followed. Um, I'd, I'd heard about this classic uh, old cockpit fest that they have in the UK at the Newark Air Museum. And yep. uh, I wanted to replicate something similar. And Gavin Johnston, I contacted him at Wanaka, and he, he gave it his blessing. And I basically brokered a deal. I found a, a beautiful... Um, Canberra that had been parted out with less than 2,000 hours flying time and, and, and 10 out of 10 paint and yeah. um, got hold of a guy in the, in, in the UK and I stitched a deal together. Uh, I had to go out and cold call on a big transport firm and do a big prop to them and they offered to then bring this thing out free of charge from the UK. They, I brokered the purchase of the cockpit to the Aviation Museum. They'd buy it. I'd get it out for them for free. We'd take the whole thing, we'll put on a big trailer and take it to Wanaka to be the signature exhibit and that's exactly what happened and then i got right. hold of my contact in the uk and said look have you got any other interesting cockpits over there he said well what do you mean what sort of what sort of interesting i said well you know maybe a harrier cockpit something like that and he came back to me and said well we haven't got a cockpit but there's a complete harrier up for disposal uh, by government tender right now but it closes in a week and a half at yeovilton and I thought, yeah. bells, bells, no. I told a couple of the guys at the museum, but I couldn't tell the whole lot of them because they would have evicted me, you know. I'd already <laughs> just dropped this Canberra on them. Um, so um, I got a ring from a guy called Laurie Cromie, who was an engine fitter on Corsairs up on the Pacific. He's just since died, sadly, but he was a real mover and shaker, a visionary guy. Yeah. Um, he rang me um, after a couple of mornings I'd mentioned this to him. He said, Peter, we've got to have a go for this Harrier. And I said, really, Laurie? He said, yeah, we've got to do it. And I said, well, you can tell the guys I'm not game. <laughs> so he put the word out at morning tea over at the museum that morning. And basically what we then decided to do, because it was uh, tricky, it was sort of, uh, you know, Christmas, New Year sort of period, um, 
we had a meeting at my place here at Aeroview, and we called it the Coalition of the Willing, and we had about 20 guys sitting here, and we dreamt up a figure, and the guys will put up $1,000 each, and we decided we would try and have a go at buying this thing, getting it, and once we got it, then offer it first right of refusal to the Ashburton Aviation Museum. So we, it was, you know, some of the guys in the museum thought it was a bit of a loaded situation, but it wasn't that. You know, we, we, enough of us that were on the museum committee anyway were involved in this thing, and we just wanted yeah. to be able to, you know, have a go at it, have an honest go at it. If we were lucky enough to get it, give it, give the option to the museum. Well, I was at a conference for work in Auckland, and my phone went, and it was this guy in the UK, and he said, Peter, we've got the Harrier. Wow. 5,575 pounds. Wow. That's cheap. Complete with engine, everything in it. Now, there's an outfit uh, who um, broker these aircraft um, to museums and training colleges and all that, in the, and they sell plundered cockpits with nothing in them for 5,000 quid. Wow. We got, we got the entire airplane. And it was everything. That... We paid the guy another 2,000 pounds to be our agent over there. He completely dismantled it and put it in containers for us. Um, the fuselage came out first. The container, uh, the, the wing came in. A, we had to get a high top container for the second one. Um, he did the whole thing. There was VAT to pay. He said, don't worry, I'll pay it. I can claim it back. Don't you worry about that. So he paid the VAT and claimed it back. Yep. It's one of those things that a lot of work went in. I, think, I don't think the guys today will have any idea in the museum the level of... Um, finite detail uh, that went into orchestrating that entire thing right, um, right. but we did it and it went without a hitch and um, we got that and then of course there was the Meteor project because I'd, I'd used the uh, as newsletter editor I'd used the newsletter as a bit of a vehicle to um, soft launch some of my additional pipe dreams and, um, <laughs> and one of them was the fact that the, you know the first jet in New Zealand was a Meteor F3 um, yep. NZ6001. Um, but nowhere in New Zealand was there a meteor, apart from the Sabritskys one in Auckland, which is a private collection. And I thought, well, if the Air Force Museum aren't going to do it, that's something we could do. It's another point of difference for us. So to cut a long story short there, there was a couple I was looking at, one in the UK and this very good one um, at um, Adelaide with Bob Jarrett over there at Classic Jets, which initially was priced out of our range. When the um, UK one fell over... Um, this other one came into the focus, and I'd given a talk at the uh, Royal Aeronautic Society about the museum and my involvement in it and the history of the museum, etc. And at the yeah. end of it, at, uh, at one of the meetings, I, I sort of broached this um, broached this dream about securing this meteor. And these guys, a bit, much like what's happening now, talk far too long, but they were all very attentive, and they came up and asked questions afterwards. And about a week later, I was approached by... Um, Pat Scotter, who's a lovely guy um, and, and, and a, you know, a, a great um, aviation man, uh, yep. now retired. And uh, I won't go into the details of it, but suffice to say, Pat just said to me, Peter, you know, we've got to, we can't lose the option on this meteor. It's got to happen, and I'll help you make it happen. So um, he put together a, um, a an arrangement for us that was pretty hard to say no to. And um, okay. thanks to his incredible generosity... Um, the Ashburton Aviation Museum has an example of a meteor, and it's collected. That's fantastic. So, That's fantastic. You know, there's just been this sort of you know, explosion of jets over there, really. Um, so yeah, so it's it's. It, I just love those projects. It's been a huge amount of fun, and uh, you know the fun's not over yet, hopefully. And um, yeah, you know, it's it's the journey. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you've done an incredible amount for aviation preservation, and you know, as as a fan of uh, old aircraft, thank you very much. Hey, my pleasure, and uh, it's up to Jace now to keep carrying the torch on into the future. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Depends how much you leave me. I think. <laughs> I think we'll set it to sleep. <laughs> no, I'm very proud of what he's doing, and um, you know, because I have to say, uh, he suffers from my short attention span. Uh, thing a bit, and uh, you know, at he and I at school weren't the greatest, but uh, he's really found his he's fallen on his feet with his job, and is and I'm very proud of him. And when he announced that he was going to do this flying thing, he was so determined about it, and he just went out and did it with you know an absolute determination. All the stuff I struggled with, uh, the theory and what have you, um, he he worked out and he nailed, and um, yep. and now he's you know, and I I just never dreamt that he'd be remotely interested in all this stuff that was that I was into. And, you know, I, I've never pushed him. It's just been something that he's found himself, probably um, as an adult. He's, he's just suddenly, something's just sparked within him. And um, and uh, he's, he's, a, he's we've had a lot of fun. He's a great wee pilot. Yeah, yeah, well, I'll tell you what, in the in the near future, when he's got all his um, proficiencies on the Harvard and he's taking you up for a ride, I, I want to be there to, to make another show. That'd be great. Yeah, oh, be, be, he's got to sprinkle my ashes from the Harvard. That's one of his... Uh, one of his uh... <laughs> Hopefully not on that first flight. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> Oh, well, this has been very cathartic, Dave. Thanks for the opportunity. And um, no problem. Once, Thank you. Yeah, no, it's it's um, it's quite interesting to get it all out in one burst. But that's that's essentially <laughs> uh, the way it's been. So, I still think, what? I still think somebody should have saved one of those first generation seven three sevens for display. You know, for, for <laughs> how big's your lawn? No, not my lawn. <laughs> not my lawn. Was it the the second the set the first one's gone, but the second one was parked up until recently over in the states. It has to be some yep. way of doing that. The cockpit section, so I don't know. Just putting it out there. Oh, another job for you. <laughs> <laughs> he's a seven three. He's a Boeing man. <laughs> okay, guys. Well, thanks very much uh, for your time, and um, you know this has been this has been a really interesting interview, actually, and I, I really appreciate it very much. My pleasure. Our pleasure. Uh, thank you very much, thanks David. So much, Dave. And all the work you're doing on the forum, keep it up, mate. It's, 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 it's a, it's a, it is a great forum, that forum. Thank you. Thank you very much. But it's, a, it's only because there's people out there like yourselves that make it great. It's not, not just me. No, it, took, it took someone to uh, facilitate it, so no, it, it's outstanding. <laughs> Love it. Yeah. Cheers, Dave. Cool. Cheers, Jason. Okay, thanks a lot. That was the Wings Over New Zealand show.